As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I'm sitting here today with Todd Henry. Thank you so much, Todd, for being a part of this podcast episode. Oh, it's great to be here. And with this wonderful view, this corner suite view that we're sitting, <laughs> is amazing. Just great. <laughs> Thank Wouldn't you trade so it for much. The world. Yeah. So, Todd, I have heard you as a keynote speaker at various events. I have read three of your four books. I Need to Read Louder Than Words, oh. best-selling author of Die Empty, The Accidental Creative and Herding Tigers. Todd, I look forward to diving in. Today, we're going to focus a lot on herding tigers and then get into a few other themes that you see resonate as you're out speaking and working with leaders and serving people around the world. So thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Oh, it's a joy to be here. So let's talk a little bit about what led you to writing a book called Herding Tigers (laughs) and what inspired you into this fourth publication? Yeah. So I've been, for years, I've been working with creative people and creative teams, helping them be prolific, brilliant, and healthy all at the same time, which is really difficult. You can be prolific and brilliant, but then burn out, sort of wither on the vine, which is what a lot of people do. They go through these crash, burn, refresh cycles. And over the long term, that's not a solution for any organization. It's not a way to keep talented people around. So I focused most of my work on individuals and helping individuals build practices that would lead to being prolific, brilliant, and healthy. And over the course of many years, I would have people come up to me and say, oh, this is great. It's really transformed the way I think about my life and my work and my productivity and my creativity. But let me tell you about my manager, (laughs) right? (laughs) This is really great in theory, but my manager won't let me blank. And so I realized that in order to really move the needle organizationally, I needed to address the people who have the greatest sway within the organization. I needed to help people understand what it is that talented, creative, driven people really need from their leadership in order to produce their best work. It's not enough to tell them to do great work. It's not enough just to throw resources at them. You have to understand the underlying dynamics of the creative process and what it is that talented people really crave in order to be able to produce their best work. And sometimes, frankly, they can't even articulate that to you. They can't even tell you what they need. But once they get it, they say, yeah, that was it. And so I wanted to try to somehow help people understand those dynamics so that they would position their team to be able to bring their best work every day. Okay. Okay. And walking through the dynamic around stability and challenge, we believe that people need growth. They desire change, whether they will tell you or not, and they want to be challenged. Can you share with us a little bit about what your findings have shown as well? Yeah, so sort of within those themes, the two things that really I discovered as I researched this book that creative people need more than anything else, the first one is stability. They need predictability of process, clarity of expectations. They need to know that the rules of the game aren't going to change midstream. Um, Yes, we're always going to learn and we're going to adapt and we're going to redefine the problem that we're solving. Yes, we're going to have to change gears every so often because as we engage in a project, obviously we're doing complex work. The work is going to change. The problem is going to change as we learn. And that's fine, right? We're going to iterate. But they need to know that the process by which that's going to happen is clear and defined and your expectations are defined. And as a leader, you have a clear and 
coherent leadership philosophy that helps them understand how to engage. So they need that stability from you. Creative people do. There's a myth about creative people that they only want complete freedom. Just don't fence me in, right? wide open spaces. And that's not true. It's not true at all. As a matter of fact, Orson Welles said, the absence of limitations is the enemy of art. If you want to do brilliant, creative, innovative work, you need clear and consistent boundaries. So stability is the first thing that creative people need. They also need, as you said, they need challenge. They need to be pushed. They need to be pushed sometimes into places they don't know that they want to go or that they're capable of going. They need to see that you know them, that you understand them, that you maybe even know what they're capable of more than they know what they're capable of. They want to know that you believe in them and that if they take risks, you're going to be there to have their back. Now, as you can imagine, if you put stability and challenge on a matrix, they exist in tension with one another. Because as you stabilize, as you, you know, insert processes and clarity and expectations, the more frequent your checkpoints are with your team, the less challenging it's going to feel because it's going to feel like you're constantly looking over their shoulder, right? And, and clarifying their work. But as you push them and challenge them, as the work becomes more nebulous and more difficult and you push them into those dark places, you tend to destabilize the work and destabilize the organization. So it is incumbent upon you as a leader, as a manager to understand, first of all, where your team lives on that matrix of stability and challenge, but also to help your team on an individual basis understand who they are, what they need, and to strategically and independently lead each people. Some people might need more frequent check-ins because they crave more stability, right? Some people might say, hey, just check in with me once every two weeks, but other than that, wind me up and let me go because they crave challenge and the unknown and being in those kind of dark places, you know, exploring the frontiers. You need to know that on an individual level. And so if somebody's listening right now and they're thinking, why is this team member angry at me all the time? It just seems like they're just constantly angry. They're constantly frustrated. Well, it's probably because they feel extremely challenged by you as a leader, but they don't feel like they're getting the stability mm-hmm. that they need from you as a leader. If somebody listening right now says, why does this person always complain about not feeling like they're being pushed? They always want more. They're always coming to me asking for more work. They're always coming to me asking to be reassigned to something new or to be on the early stages of a project. Well, it's probably because they feel like they have lots of stability from you, but they're craving challenge. They need to be pushed more. So this framework can give you It's a useful tool, I think, for many people just to think about the individuals on your team and think about, okay, where am I not serving them in the way that they need to be served as a team member right now? That's wonderful. And so you mentioned the stability dynamic, the challenge dynamic, and the employee feeling that way. Where does trust come in? Oh, trust is huge. Trust is the currency of creative teams. Without trust, there is no risk. Without trust, there is no innovation, right? We have to know that there is a net beneath us before we will make that leap often. But the problem is, as leaders, I think we misunderstand trust. I think that sometimes we think about trust kind of like a bank account. And I've heard this analogy used often, right? You make deposits in the trust account. And every so often, if you make a withdrawal from the trust account, you do something that's maybe a little bit untrustworthy. It's okay because you have a positive balance. Everything's fine. But I've come to learn that trust is actually more like a water balloon. You fill it up, you fill it up, you fill it up. And then if you puncture it, even in a tiny way, even in some small insignificant way, then you lose trust everywhere. 
Yeah. And you think you're doing great. And then you're at a meeting and, you know, there's a big blow up, a big team blow up and everybody starts yelling at each other. What happened? And they say, well, it's because you said you were going to bring bagels to a meeting three weeks ago. You didn't bring the bagels. What? You know, and it seems really silly, right? But it's some small thing that we do. We overpromise as a leader, some small thing that leads to a, a micro breach of trust, but that causes us to lose trust in very important ways when we need our team to rely on us. How do you recommend leaders take a pulse on that dynamic? If there's tension in their organization, how do they figure out if it's the cross-section of stability and challenge or if there's a leak in the water balloon. Yeah, well, I try, you know, trust- a puncture in the water balloon. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, trust is critical to both stability and challenge, right? Okay. Trust is a form of stability, but it's also important for people to trust you if you want them to be willing to accept your challenge, right? You're pushing them. There are a couple of things that we do as leaders that are, I mean, small breaches that seem like minor things, but they actually become significant. One of them is something that I call declaring undeclarables. This is something we do all, and by the way, often- these breaches of trust are sourced in our own personal insecurity as a leader. The place where you have the potential to do the most damage to your team is the place where you experience the most insecurity as a leader. Whatever you're trying to protect, whatever you're trying to defend, those are the places where you have to watch out because those are the places where you're likely to breach trust in unknown ways. One of the ways that we do this is something I call declaring undeclarables. And you may remember this, Mike, but a couple of years ago, there was a bear spotted in Southern Ohio. I don't know if you remember this, but (laughs) yeah, it was, it was maybe, uh, you know, we're in Cincinnati right now. It was probably a hundred miles east of here, you know, out in Brown County, you know, whatever. But my kids, you had young kids at the time and they were kind of freaked out. They're like, there's a bear. And they're like imagining this bear crawling up the side of our house, like sneaking in through the window and eating them in their sleep or something. I'm like, listen, listen, kids, that bear is a hundred miles from here. That bear is perfectly content. It's out in the wilderness. There's plenty of stuff for it to do, plenty of food. There is not a chance in the world, zero chance you're ever going to see that bear. Not going to happen. And my kids were satisfied with that answer. Two weeks later, I pull out of my driveway about a mile from here where we're sitting, pull out of my driveway, I turn right, I go to the bottom of our street and there's a news crew camped out at the bottom of our street. I thought, well, that's interesting. So I roll down the window, I say, hey, what's going on? They say, you're not gonna believe this. About an hour ago, two joggers saw the bear run across the street and down into the creek. It's playing in the creek right now. The creek at the bottom of our street, Mike, where our kids play on a regular (laughs) basis. It's like, okay, I'm getting the message. Are you sending me some kind of message? Yes, I get it. I receive it, right? Over the course of the next two weeks, that bear was spotted all over our neighborhood. It was in our neighbor's trash. It was like basically every single place that our family goes, that bear was spotted, right? Mm -hmm. Let's just say that dad lost a little bit of trust with the whole bear thing. Mm -hmm. For about three months after that, the kids, every time I would say something, the kids say, now, dad, is that really true? Or is that kind of like the bear thing, right? Again, seems silly when kids do this, but we do this as leaders all the time. Mm -hmm. Hey, if you work this Saturday, I'm going to give you next Thursday off. You know what? Actually, a big client project came in, so I'm going to need you to work Thursday, but, you know, I'll give you Friday off next week or whatever it is. Well, maybe that's fine, but that person may have already made plans for that Thursday, and now you're basically breaking your word. It seems like a small thing because, hey, it's no big deal. I'm going to make it up to you later. But to that person, that represents a little puncture of the water balloon, a little sign that maybe I can't really fully trust this person to be telling me the truth all the time. Maybe they're really more in this for their own interests than they are for my interests. And the moment your team begins to sense that when push comes to shove, we're getting thrown under the bus, 
you've lost them forever. Hmm. Todd, you had mentioned at an event, I heard you share that bravery entails asking dangerous questions. Yes. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? And how do you get, you know, we talk about a brave leaders willing to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And it takes courageous leadership to lead well in today's world. Can we talk a little bit about how do we encourage our listeners to be brave, to be courageous Mm -hmm. in their leadership? I think it's not overstating it to say that we are defined by the questions that we avoid more than we are by the questions that we ask. And I think probably as people are listening to this right now, they probably are feeling that pang of, oh, that's so true because we don't ask questions out of a desire to remain in our comfort zone, out of a desire to remain in our safety zone. When you ask a question, it immediately generates accountability to act on whatever the response to that question is. And so we would rather, hey, things are fine. We'd rather just stay where we are, not ask the question so that we don't have to feel accountable for acting on that question or whatever answer that question generates. And so I believe that leaders have to be the kind of people who are willing to ask dangerous questions, even if it implicates them, even if it means, okay, if I ask this question, it's going to mean that I am perhaps not living up to my responsibility to my team, or it's going to mean that maybe I have lacked the vision that I needed to have as a leader, or if it means maybe I'm not the right person for my role. Mm. Maybe this question is going to lead me to realize there's somebody else who would be a better fit for what I'm doing, and I need to start training people on my team to be able to do my job because I'm not the right person to be able to take this team where it needs to go. These are really dangerous things that we're entertaining. Mm -hmm. When we stop asking questions, we join the group that I like to call the busily board, right? These are people who are very busy. They seem to have a lot going on in their world, but they're bored silly. They're not questioning assumptions, right? They're not challenging these ghost rules that often live in our organization, these Areas where we've just, we're living with assumed behavior. Oh, that'll never work here. Yeah, you're right. That'll never work here. It's easier not even to challenge that. Mm -hmm. It's easier just to let that lie and just move on and and do, because challenging that's going to mean going against convention. It's going to mean raising some uncomfortable conversations. So I believe that those questions that you know, by the way, probably again, everyone listening has a question right now that comes to mind that you've been avoiding that you don't want to ask. You are going to be defined more, I believe, by those questions that you refuse to ask than you are by the questions that you choose to ask. That's wonderful. Yeah, and we encourage our listeners to surround yourself with the right people, Mm -hmm. right? Individuals where maybe you have an advisor that you can run the question by first to see how do I deliver it appropriately. And when you get feedback to the questions you ask, how do you manage through that? Especially if you're the CEO or president of your organization. Yes, to be able to have the trusted relationships to think through these things and the implications and impact. And when you get the feedback, how do you act on it? Absolutely. Because if you're going to open up the question, it's like doing a cultural assessment or an organizational assessment or 360 feedback. When you start opening yourself up to be vulnerable, people do expect to see some action taken and addressed. 
uh, with that. They do. And the more organizational authority you have, the more weight your words have. And you have to be cognizant of that, right? So please understand I'm not advocating just go out and start speaking your mind. No, of course not, right? You have to be very guarded about what you say because people ascribe meaning to your words that you never intended in a million mm-hmm. years. I like to say that leading is like living in a fishbowl in the middle of a shooting range because everybody can see everything you're doing and they feel free to take shots at you anytime they want to. And one of the reasons they take shots at you is because they ascribe narratives to your words that you never intended. So you're right. That's where accountability becomes so important and having people around you who can help you shape and refine and help you see things maybe that you don't see, mm-hmm. blind spots, areas of weakness that you don't see or assumptions that you're making that you need to chase down. My friend Ricardo Crespo used to lead creative at 20th Century Fox, who's the global chief creative officer. And he always talked about leading people He said, you can't expect people to just go where you are. You have to go all the way back to the beginning. You have to lead them from where they are to where you want them to be. Because as a leader, sometimes we're four or five steps ahead of the people on our team. So we could ask a dangerous question and people are like, are we going out of business? <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is that person saying that we're like, are we going under right now? Is that why he's at, you know, no, 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 not at all. It's just, I want to challenge you, right? But I have to go back to where you are and see things through your eyes. Mm-hmm. And often the people around us can help us contextualize our thinking so that it meets people where they are. Yeah. It's a a very interesting and personal topic that you're bringing up right now. And I'll share just some learnings. Nine years ago, we did our first corporate culture audit uh, Mm -hmm. through Perfect 10 Corporate Cultures, Lynn Rule and her team. And this trust number was lower than the Sipples, the owners of Centennial, expected. Mm -hmm. And part of the dynamic was around as a family business – Family businesses tend to protect people and not deal with conflict as they should. Family businesses, especially an external thinker like myself, I would share things not knowing, not really understanding the implications and impact it would have on the team. And when we started, you know, working through and dreaming up some organizational shift and growth in our company, communicating a little too early before I had went to where our team was. And just started where I was, Mm -hmm. created a lot of that what's happening and things are changing and what does that mean to me and how does my role. And uh, fortunately, a lot of those team members are still with us today. I learned from it by doing a, we do every three years, we do a cultural audit in our organization and we call it the voice of our team and just getting a pulse on and then continual feedback every year and ongoing communications with team members. But as external thinkers or communicators, I learned even more about that when I was moving into the president's role, that Mm -hmm. every word you say, every emotion you have is going to be looked at differently by those around you. It just changes. And I have felt that experience knowing that responsibility and therefore have to surround myself with other advisors that I can just think through because I'm an external thinker and communicator and really be articulate and calculated to our team so that I don't disrupt the goodness that's happening around us. It's all, you know, there's great things taking place. I'm just casting a vision and thinking about the future. And all of a sudden, are we making an organization shift and what's happening and how does this change affect me and what will my role be? And it's like, whoa, none of that was intended. (laughs) I was just pontificating. (laughs) I I just had an idea. Right, right. Again, it's so important that we have people around us, right? That we have those 
voices who are willing to speak truth to us and preferably people who have known us for a while and can see our patterns and recognize, hey, you know what? Maybe you should keep that to yourself for a while. Maybe that's not a good thing to share just yet. And those people need to be in place, I think, before you need them. I was, mm-hmm. I was speaking at an event for the U.S. Air Force Air Command College last January. And one of the other speakers was General Casey, who was a former Army Chief of Staff and um, led the Iraq War effort for a number of years. And I mean, just obviously like a leader's leader, you know, this incredible guy, a distinguished career, incredible guy. So I'm in the green room and I'm eating, I don't know, something. And I turn around and General Casey is standing about six inches from me. And he said, what's the most important thing I need to know about creativity? I was like, what? Why are you asking me? You know, and I'm like, oh, wait, I'm the creativity guy. I'm supposed to have some response, right? So I I don't even know what I said. But then I said, what is the most important thing I need to know about leadership? And then I just pulled out my notebook and I prepared to take notes, right, from this amazing leader. And one of the things I gleaned from that conversation is that you have to have relationships in place before you need them. If you wait until you're in a position of power to begin finding people who will speak truth to you, it's already too late because the moment you have power, you're holding, and these aren't his words, but these sort of my analogy, you're holding the loaded gun, right? And, you know, it's one thing if you're just having a friendly conversation. It's another thing if you're having a conversation with someone that you have some kind of organizational sway over, you know, their future, their career, whatever it is. So you need to have people in a position around you before you have that power before you have that influence, who are willing to speak truth to you, who have seen you at your best, at your worst, who have seen you when you were just a peon, you know, and and now they've sort of seen you grow into a position of authority and are willing to speak truth to you. So I would encourage people listening, just hey, think about who are those people in my life? Who are the people maybe I should reconnect with who have known me for a while? And, you know, just say, hey, I'm trying to build some community around me to help me make good decisions in my life and in my business. And I'm happy to be the same voice for you. We could get together and talk about our issues, our problems confidentially, you know, in a way that that is consistent with whatever regulation or whatever we have to abide Mm -hmm. by. But would you be willing to be that voice Mm -hmm. in my life? That's wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about chapter seven, prune proactively. There's a question that you ask in Herding Tigers, Chapter 7. Are there areas where you are tolerating small acts of deviant behavior and are in danger of normalizing it? Yeah. Uh, what led to that question, and what do you see in organizations and leaders making mistakes in that space? So this phrase, normalization of deviance, came from a study that was done about the space shuttle disasters. And what they discovered, I forget the researcher's name, actually. I should know it since I did put it in my book, but <laughs> uh, the researcher who coined this phrase discovered that this dynamic called foam shedding had become, it was something initially that when it, when it would happen, the foam would sort of break off of the external tank on the space shuttle. They were really concerned about it at first, but then it happened so often and there weren't really any accidents. And so they said, oh, this kind of normalized. It just became a normal thing. They even coined the phrase foam shedding, right? To describe what was happening until during one launch, the foam actually damaged the heat shields on the shuttle. And upon reentry, the shuttle, you know, obviously uh, had had experienced catastrophe on reentry. But this phrase, normalization of deviance, was coined to describe that dynamic, meaning it's behavior that we know is not healthy. We know that it's not what we expect, but we normalize it. And pretty soon it just becomes the way that everybody behaves. It's a tacit endorsement of behavior. So it could be things like, you know, it seems like everybody just shows up two minutes late to a meeting. 
well, that's just our culture. That's the way we are. Everybody kind of comes in when they want to, you know, maybe we don't ever say that, but that's kind of the understood expect. Or you know what? People just kind of miss their deadlines sometimes, or this person, because they're really talented, we just kind of let them have their sway in the organization and kind of do what they want to do. And they miss deadlines. And sometimes they treat people unfairly or they don't really treat people well, but you know, it's kind of the price of having talented people around. These little ways that we tacitly endorse unhealthy behavior become the cultural norm. And pretty soon, people begin to adopt the narrative that, well, if I want to get ahead, I need to live according to these rules or these things that are going on. Again, I call them ghost rules that exist organizationally. And as a leader, we're responsible for that. We have to prune, consistently prune this deviant behavior in order to shape the culture into what we want it to be. You know, great cultures are not built. Great cultures are grown. They're grown from the inside out, which means we have to regularly fertilize what we want and prune what we don't want. And one of the things we have to prune is this deviant behavior. So if there's something going on in your culture, you're seeing behavior that isn't consistent with what you want to see in your organization, it's your responsibility as a leader not to say, well, I'll get around to that, but to nip it now. Hey, we're going to talk about this. Why do we start our meetings five minutes late every single time? There's no good reason for this happening. Or if there is a good reason, let's talk about it. Let's figure out some solution to help us start on time. But one of our principles is we honor one another's time. So when we say we're going to start at nine o'clock, we're going to start at nine o'clock. We say we're going to start at 9.35, we're starting at 9.35. We're going to honor one another's time because when we show up five minutes late, we're robbing everybody in the organization of that precious time. Mm -hmm. So where is there normalization of deviance in your organization? And what do you need to do about it to begin pruning it so that you're growing a healthy culture just like you would grow a healthy mm -hmm. garden? If the listeners are like me, you're thinking of examples <laughs> and areas where you can hold yourself more accountable. Sure. Not just my team, but areas sure. that, you know, I do run late to meetings internally yeah. because sure. I'm coming out of a client conversation or I got to wrap something up and how that can impact my team. So team, I apologize for that publicly with... <laughs> uh, many, many listeners here. And, um, and you know what? That, by the way, I mean, that's going to happen, right? You're going to have a, I mean, listen, the clients are the lifeblood of this business. I mean, you have to have, sometimes that's going to happen. The clients have to come first, but it's different if it's, uh, you know what? I was in my office kind of, you know, just doing some email and, you know, I was trying to type out one more email before I, or what, I mean, that's a different thing than, hey, I was handling the most precious aspect of what we do, which is our clients. Mm -hmm. In terms of aspects for this particular topic, and I think this shows up, you know, we represent family businesses all over the world, mm -hmm. and we are one. And you hear this a lot around, you know, well, the highest performing person or this particular team is high performing, although they don't respect this other area of the organization. But that's just the way it's always been. Yeah. That's just the way that person is. And it, again, there might be feedback from the CEO or the leader that, you know, the, well, the leader really doesn't lean into this particular conversation as much as we'd like to, but that's the way it's always been. Or the person makes knee-jerk decisions and our culture, you kind of have to prop up the executive team because of these areas of, you know, this fallacies or these concerns and challenges that someone has. What do you say to that from an organizational perspective? And where do you start? How do you get control? You can't make all the changes tomorrow. Right. Um, so what can our listeners do to just create a healthier organization starting today and tomorrow? Yeah, I think the question why is really important. I think when you start to bump up against some of those things, and again, we could call them ghost rules. Some of them are ghost rules. Some of them are not. Some of them are valid assumptions, right? Or valid beliefs based on experience. 
But I think the question why is really important. Why does our CEO not lean into this more and begin asking those questions? Why does our team seem to engage in this behavior every time it gets stressed? Why does, you know, just being willing to ask that question again, back to the very beginning of our conversation, the questions we avoid define us. Not being willing to ask why is a sign of comfort, stasis, medius ochris, right? Which is where mediocrity comes from, which means halfway up the rugged mountain. Mm. Means, you know, you get halfway up and you say, eh, close enough. I'm going to settle in, right? Medius ochris. It gets really comfortable sometimes for people. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to phone it in, make a living, maybe climb the ladder one rung at a time, and you just kind of coast out my life. That's fine, but that's not the way to build a body of work you're going to be proud of. Right. I think those who build a body of work they're proud of are the ones who are willing to ask that really dangerous why question mm-hmm. consistently. Okay. Todd, in your discussions with creative teams, and also, you know, again, a lot of this is also very transferable to all of us, Sure. but the focus of the creatives, what do you hope people take away from herding tigers? I think that the main thing I want people to take away from herding tigers is that there is a tremendous upside to getting creative leadership right. We often think about the frustrations of doing highly complex creative. And by the way, when I say creative work, I'm talking about solving problems. If you solve problems for a living, you're a creative. That's all of us. Yes, it is. It is. Absolutely. (laughs) It is. Unless you're doing repetitive machine-like work or you're just getting on the phone and making robocalls all day, right? Then you're a creative professional. And so, The main thing I think want people to understand is like focus less on the frustrations of that work and focus more on the upside of that. I mean, in 100 years, no offense, but in 100 years, maybe 150, 200 years, it's unlikely people are going to remember any of our businesses, right? Any of the businesses we built. It's unlikely anybody's going to remember us specifically from a historical standpoint. I had a friend who was a business owner who challenged his son. You know, he realized his son was trying to become like this, you know, once in a lifetime sort of like really well-known business leader. And he said, "Do me, let's do an exercise. I want you to name as many people as you can think of who were alive in 1850. And he said, I think we got to like maybe seven maybe seven people, right, that he could Mm -hmm. name out of who knows how many people were alive at that point. Like, listen, nobody's going to remember us, but the impact that we have on the lives of the people that we lead is going to echo for generations to come. They may not know it came from us. They may not even recognize that it's our echo that we started, Mm -hmm. but generation after generation after generation of people will be impacted because you were willing to be the leader that you always wished that you had. And so the main thing I want people to take away from this is be a leader who makes echoes. I want in 10 years when I ask someone, because I always start my talks with, I want you to think about a leader who's had a tremendous impact on your life, right? What were the qualities of that leader? In 10 years, I want them thinking of you. In 20 years, I want them thinking of you. I want you to be the kind of leader you always wish you had so you can be a leader who makes echoes that resound through generations. Hmm. Thank you so much. Todd, your inspiration, the works that you've crafted, Die Empty, Unleashing Your Best Work Every Day has been a very impactful part of my life. And the theme of dying empty, putting it all out every day for the right reasons to glorify the Lord and to bring 
people around and to love people while you're doing it has been a great inspiration. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for your time today to join us in the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, where we're focusing on reframing success and leadership. Yeah, Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the great work that you do. And thanks for inviting me. This is a great experience. Absolutely. How people feel about their bosses makes the biggest contribution to their workplace happiness and productivity. And as a boss, you can level up your performance in just 30 minutes. Find out more at talentmagnetinstitute.com slash betterboss. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr., Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.